Hey there, welcome to SaaS Unbound, brought to you by SaaS Group. I'm your host, Anna Dana, and this is the show where we chat with inspiring founders and experts to get an inside scoop on how they made their business a success. And here with me today is Chris, founder and CEO of Slight, a modern knowledge base that helps teams escape the chaos of information overload. Slide attended YC in 2018, raised more than 15 million in funding and is serving tens of thousands of teams every month, which is super exciting. And by the looks of it, you're growing a very lovable brand. So I'm really, really curious how you're doing it and uh, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, uh, Anna. All right. Well, um, you started uh, building Slide in um, six years ago, right? So back then remote work was, um, nothing, you know, people desired. I still remember when COVID hit, everyone went absolutely crazy and said, you know, if my employer, uh, tells me to go home and work from home, I'm quitting, never going to do this. Um, so how did you decide to do it in the first place? Where did the idea come from? I mean, remote was not like the premise of slide. Uh, okay. it happens that we were like, so inspired by teams that were full async or full remote, like buffer at the time that mm -hmm. we decided to iron remote our first employee and to continue from there. And then it felt very natural, but really like we were remote, not by business choice, but just purely by, uh, personal decision of, uh, me and my co-founder Pierre, um, you know, like any, any yield, like amazing effect, like we both exited Paris thanks to that mm -hmm. after a few years uh, respectively to Nantes in France and to Berlin for me uh, and to places where we're happier so it was really not a business decision but then it happened that you know a lot of people connect to this topic of course with the COVID it was a big thing yeah um, but yeah like it was it was really very much like it's a brand like it's more like a future of work kind of thing something that we believe is important for everyone to have flexibility and to feel free at work but it's it's not like a business decision at first Right. Okay. And uh, I know that you, you also pivoted a bit. So at first slide was more of like a note taking kind of tool, right? And then you went a bit deeper into that. And again, why did this happen? Yeah. So, so um, uh, the very first tagline of slides uh, in the first year of release was the not app for teams. And the idea was extremely simple, a bit stupid, even like it was really <sighs> You had Slack that had came up with the idea of uh, bringing like the WhatsApp experience to uh, the enterprise mm -hmm. world. It feels so mundane today that we almost forget that we used to work with emails and with other kind of platforms. And we were like, okay, you know, like that's great for communication. Um, but I still write in Google Docs, very, very messy. You never know what's where. Um, and on my personal, not taking up. And basically the choice was either you share in a very, very bad environment to share or you have like the best experience on your personal uh, walk or your personal mm -hmm. life or personal walk. And so we decided to bridge it and to really say, okay, you know, we'll bring the power of not taking up great UX, really push people in your team to write more, to share more. Uh, but we do so in a context where, you know, by default, the information is shared to everybody in your team. And so the, the thing that was interesting and it yielded to kind of like the, the pivots or the slight change of positioning that came after is that first year of slide, when we were starting to go to pilots and to try to get customers, uh, we managed to land, uh, our biggest customer at the time, which was a 80 people team called AB mm -hmm. Testy. So it's, uh, basically optimizedly French optimizedly, um, mm -hmm. so, you know, conversion, uh, kind of tooling. Um, 
And they were a big group, like 80, 60 people, I don't remember at the time. And they were churning from Confluence to go to Slide. So just the promise of having something where the experience of writing was so easy and so good, like was enough, even if we had like a very bad structure, it was really incomplete. Like you couldn't have images, even like a lot of things were missing. Hmm. Um, like that was enough for them to, to, to switch. And so we started more and more to look at it and we were like, okay, you know, that's a knowledge base. And I never heard about a knowledge base before. Uh, it was just a, a thing very reserved to technical people. And it was, you know, Confluence was funded by Atlassian for developers and as a complement yeah. to Jira. Um, so yeah, I mean, like we've just very naturally learned that people don't call it another, but they call it like, you know, knowledge base. And because knowledge base has this connotation of being very clunky and very rigid and very uh, frustrating to use, um, you know, people were really resonating with the idea of not taking up, but really what we do is really kind of help teams share all their knowledge by default. Like the goal is really to make the, the team knowledge ubiquitous. Like you can just tap in your teammate's brain any instant without any friction, without any meeting, without any nudges and so on. So it was like a, I wouldn't say it was a pivot. It was a slight change of positioning. Yeah. Okay. So uh, your customer kind of pushed you in a bit of a different direction um, a, a bit further. Okay. Uh, so that's something that I was thinking about uh, when I was reading about Slight. So uh, it's it's a knowledge base, right? And if you know, if you're a startup, if you're just uh, at the very very early stage, it kind of makes sense. Like it's very easy to start with Slight. But what if you are a larger company, right? You got this company where they had 80 employees, and I'm sure now you have uh, companies that are even bigger. Uh, so how easy is it? to move the information that, you know, um, for example, I have some of my personal internal knowledge base uh, in my Notion or like on Google Docs or somewhere else, you know, I have this uh, cute little thing uh, lying around. So how do I move this or, or how do I make 80 people basically move all their information into Slide? Yeah, it's a very good question. So our largest team, as of today is 1,500 people. Um, <clears throat> so even a bigger challenge. Yeah. Um, what happened is that the biggest kind of like uh, break friction point to knowledge sharing is the experience that your people have and the type of knowledge that is documented there. So what yeah. we see like very, very often is that people try to kind of say, we want to be certain of the information that is in this tool. And so we'll restrict to just this and this topic. And often the topic that kind of feel true or, you know, like a representation of the truth are mm -hmm. employee onboarding, handbooks, SOPs, and that's it, you know, and, you know, like organigram maybe. Yeah. And the, the challenge with that is this is useful for one month when you just arrived in the company, but then, mm -hmm. you know, like you really don't care. And so you will not build a habit using the tool. The second thing is, of course, if even if the tool holds more information and it sucks and it's really a bad experience, which is what happened often with Confluence you will not build the habit to go there every day and to check and to help people refine and to, you know, like uh, complement the information that is uh, having gaps and so on. And so the, the, the challenge that we have with slides and it's all the entire field is really to, to mix two things that can feel very, very uh, extremely opposed on one end, having a complete source of your knowledge. So really like, the running project, which is what matters to you right now. So preparing this podcast, for instance, yeah. or, you know, like having in, in mind all the quarter uh, of projects that you are running and so on. 
and uh, at the same time having it um, uh, trusted. So you, you want to have all the information, but you want to be able to trust it because that's the job that chief of staff, COOs, uh, you know, like uh, all the people that are in operations or head of really want. They, they want to be sure that people, when they tap in the knowledge base, will find an answer that is actually trustable. And um, we, we, th we always took the, the big uh, care on the first part making it so easy to use, making it so, you know, like it's live, it's real time, the editor is incredible. Uh, you can customize all your pages, make them look great. You have a mobile app, all the things push you to use it every day. And you have a lot yeah. of features that I'm not uh, discussing. Databases, catch up to know what's happening in your team and comments and sharing and so on. Um, and so, you know, this is like always what we focused on because we know that the status quo of knowledge base that are static and so on is just like, it, it tends to kind of like just deprecate with time. Nobody uses it. So nobody cares. So you have it, but it's kind of a really great and so on. And so we always said, okay, put all the information that matters in one place, uh, including the running things. And then like, we'll kind of help you make sure that people access things that are trusted and it remains organized and so on. And this second part is not fully solved yet. It's the hardest part and nobody in the industry has solved it. But right now we are kind of like, uh, since the beginning of the year, we really see AI as being the one thing that finally can unblock it. Like you always had this dream of like all knowledge, always trustable, always accessible. And for once, like it, it just demands so much time of everybody to kind of review their passwork and, you know, like yeah. archive dogs and nobody does and so on. And for the first time ever, we have like little assistants that are actually smart enough to understand a bit the context of what you write, to understand that things are outdated and so on, to be able to read things, to give you the information and so on. And so that's how we see the future is like really, really good UX, really simple thing, flexible for all kind of information, really dynamic. And at the same time, a complement with AI to help you detect what's verified, what's not, what's too stable or not, help you kind of deprecate stuff that are outdated. And we, we actually shipped Ask, which is... Basically, you just ask a question on your knowledge base and it gives you the answer with sources, in, you know, like just straight away. And that's like one right. example of how you can make uh, this knowledge experience remain, even if you have like thousands or, you know, hundreds of thousands of documents. Yeah, no, that that's amazing. Uh, I believe that, you know, every, especially if you're a new employee at a big company, that is so helpful. And uh, like you said, finding relevant information find not, not just outdated something that just has been forgotten in Notion for some time, but something that, you know, has been updated and people use it and people uh, constantly go back to uh, is really great. Um, <clears throat> but uh, also one thing that um, I wanted to ask about the user experience, the customer experience is that, um, like you were saying, um, people kind of have to go there and use it every day. Otherwise it doesn't really make sense. Uh, but uh, in in my opinion, and like, just correct me if I'm wrong, maybe uh, I don't understand how it works fully, but you kind of feel the value of this kind of product a bit further down the road. So you kind of like, for example, in my existence, I kind of know where everything goes and like SaaS Group is not as big maybe as uh 15, what, 1500 people, right? Um, so we kind of know where I should go personally in my little world inside a company. Um, so it's not like I, I would need a bigger knowledge base. Maybe, you know, I don't touch those uh, departments or, or questions. So for me, maybe uh, it would be 
a bit down, like further down the road when I would need to get into like more details and like yeah. see the value of this kind of like unified thing. So it's, it's a very, uh, very long introduction to the question. How do you, <laughs> sorry, how do you actually like show people the value of this product? I think, you know, like you already asking the value, like in whatever you're using today, uh, a knowledge yeah. base is a big term. And as I yeah. said, like the kind of, we think it's an outdated, uh, the standard of the market is outdated. So what you're doing is you are using a workspace, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And workspace and knowledge base should be the same thing. It's just that at a certain scale, you can't afford to just expect things to be in a workspace, uh, you know, like uh, hidden behind like other projects and meeting docs and so on. And so this is where we kind of like work. We are really kind of trying to bridge those and to really make sure that even in a knowledge base where everybody's active every day and so on, you only see what matters to you. You can find your information, it's trusted, and you have like this assistant that helps you kind of refine your knowledge base, clean it up, give you the answers uh, and so on. So for small teams, what happened is that you kind of start using it more on projects. Mm -hmm. The wiki part is actually small. And then whenever you pass like the 50 people uh, or 30 people kind of like mark, um, you start to have like real, you know, needs for knowledge. Often it's also like when you have like two departments, typically technical departments and support, or, you know, for instance, we have Van Move, which is the, uh, e-bike brand using mm -hmm. slides, uh, they will have like bike doctors in the city. So we, they, they go it like that, but you know, repairments really, uh, repair people. And, um, and you will have like the people in the factories and in the production uh, part. And so the people in production needs to indicate to people in the stores, like how to fix the bikes, like how to order the new parts, uh, what are the, you know, uh, procedures to kind of like uh, repair stuff and so on. Um, whenever you have this kind of like split of like customer success, customer support operators or people that need to kind of like be helping the customer directly. Um, and you have like this other part, which is more knowledge managers. So, you know, like more mm -hmm. people that work, uh, you know, project managers and people that work with knowledge really, uh, you will need a knowledge base and a small team. It starts with the work, like with the project, larger team, it's more this, it's more like, you know, it starts top down. Usually it's like, you know, operations and, uh, head off and support and success, like just see that their team keep kind of like bugging each other. There is a lot of clarity. There is a lot of mismatch. And so it's, it's a bit easier to sell and to see, uh, it's just, okay. you know, like the, the problems are very, very apparent in these teams. Right. No, I mean, I'm, I'm not, um, definitely not, uh, arguing with the fact that it, it, it is a problem, uh, having worked for a bit of a bigger company, having worked for very small companies, uh, I could see everywhere that, you know, sometimes information gets lost, sometimes information gets outdated or, uh, I don't know, something happens and, you know, you just, um, sit there with a ton of information that, uh, that is not any more relevant. So yeah. Okay. Uh, I want to, um, talk about the way you build slide, because like I said, uh, it looks, and I've been following, um, you on, on LinkedIn, what, what you're writing about for a while. And it looks like you, you're, first of all, you're very, uh, involved in building a brand. Um, and second of all, it's, you're building a very lovable brand. So like the, by the looks of it, um, first of all, you kind of, even though I know you have a bigger team now, right? And uh, it's not just you kind of doing everything. 
but it looks like you still have hands-on experience with everything that goes on in Slide. Uh, and second is that um, you kind of show that you care not about not just about the product, but also about the team and the customers. So what's your approach to building the brand? How, um, how deeply is your personal brand involved in this? And uh, yeah, basically, what's your hack for, you know, for doing it so well? Uh, thanks a lot. I don't know if uh, we do it so well, but at least uh, in terms of brand, like um, I, it's a combination of, obviously of things. We have like very, very kind of talented people uh, on the visual side, uh, on the content side, we've worked with really, really incredible people to help kind of like convey this message. And then when it comes to the message, um, we always try to kind of like... Uh, to basically not go for the status quo, like whatever is the status quo, I think it's really like part of our DNA is kind of boring. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, like just repeating, I, I actually like have this FOMO sometimes when I see some people uh, in spaces that we like, like typically remote, that just repackage the same opinion over and over and over and over and it works, you know, like I'm very much not a marketing yeah. people person. But I, I can't, like my curiosity is just like, you know, extinct the first time I heard the ID and challenged it and, you know, it's over. Like, I don't feel this ID is new anymore and I can't do it. So, and I guess like what I just said, like shows how much like it answers to equation, my personal brand, like, and, uh, you know, like impacts a lot, I think. Yeah. Brand. Um, we try to kind of like, you know, like stick to unique insights to challenge the status quo to not repeat what has been said already. Uh, if there is something that is a bit controversial or a bit kind of like interesting to, to look at, uh, we try to force ourselves to go there and, you know, like, uh, you know, very respectfully and so on. We have also a very nice and candid culture, but really kind of address this fact. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, I, I think that's, you know, like the, the, I'm not sure on the operational side, if I have like interesting answers, but at least like on every single point of what we build and ship and show outside, we think like that. We think like what's okay. unique, how to stand out, how to make it, you know, finish beautiful, um, memorable. Yeah. Looking for new ways to find customers for your SaaS business? Consider adding an affiliate or customer referral program. Rewardful is the easiest affiliate tracking platform to set up, manage and scale for SaaS companies. Log your customer acquisition cost and only pay based on results. Integrate Rewardful with your Stripe or Paddle account and set up your affiliate campaigns in minutes. Rewardful automatically tracks referrals, calculates commissions, handles upgrades and downgrades all seamlessly in the background, whether you sell one-off purchases or recurring subscriptions. Companies like Podia, Copy.ai, Barometrics, Synthesia, and many, many more are already using Rewardful to add that sweet, sweet MRR to their businesses. Sign up now at Rewardful.com for a free 14-day trial and turn your biggest fans into your best marketers. Okay, and was it your plan from the very beginning to go in with your personal brand and start building your personal brand? So Slide is Chris, Chris is Slide, or... Uh, I don't want to... Uh, I mean, it's as much my personal brand as my, my co-founder... And okay. it's more like everything that we build internally and everything, the way we act internally is like a quite organic process. I still have mm -hmm. like a lot of 
weight into it naturally, but you know, it's definitely not just me. I don't want to, uh, <laughs> but, uh, and, and uh, to answer your question, it was not the plan. I mean, it, it just came very naturally. And I feel that when the, you know, like personal beliefs of the team, the way you build, what you build, what you say aligns, it just, everything is much, much easier. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's talk more about the team because uh, part of the research uh, that I do before we go into a podcast is um, looking for team members' testimonials, reviews. So I end up in Glassdoor every time, and your Glassdoor uh, score is just impeccable. Like everyone says, it's absolutely great to work for Slide. So. Um, Again, how do you build a culture where people are happy? Is it uh, fully remote, fully asynchronous? You know, what, where do you stand? Because um, you are building a tool for asynchronous work, right? So is it, you know, no no meetings or how many meetings or too many? Uh, it's funny that you say that, like I'm looking at Glassdoor at the same time, I never go there. Um, and uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Did you go now? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like you just say that. I mean, we, we kind of like iterated a lot along the years. I think that's like maybe the one part of the DNA where we didn't have much hesitation. We were young when we started slides. I'm still, I still feel young. But, you know, like when uh, we, we started, we had like, you know, like really little experience with the microphone there. And I think a lot of things were really first principle thinking, just how do we want to build and so on. And we did a lot of mistakes along the way and learned a lot and inserted a lot. But I think the way we kind of interact with each other and the care we put in our relationship. Um, so it, it goes, you know, like it's really this radical candor style. Just we are very kind, but we also we try to be as direct as we can. And we know mm-hmm. that at least uh, it's actually a good test to know if the person is right for us and for our team. But when we feel that we have like, you know, the right level of trust that the person actually is eager to grow and to get better, um, get it, giving feedback becomes like a very grateful moment where people, you know, appreciate it and so on. Um, and I guess that's the, that's the core of it really like, you know, we are transparent. We try to really communicate everything. Like everybody is aware of most of the things, right? Like, you know, 90, 99% of whatever is happening at slides they can access to, um, yeah, and I, th- I think there is this strong care in what we do. So, you know, care for, you know, fixing the customer's problem, care for the level of quality that we push, care for not letting issue of people rot. Um, at least that's our ideal. You know, after six years, it's always hard. Like, I don't know, every time you hear like this podcast and you're like, oh, you know, like perfect life. Like there are, you know, great. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, like, you know, there are so many kind of like issues and, you know, like, typically moments like maybe six months where you realize that actually maybe because of the wrong people, maybe because you were lazy, you let issues kind of like slip in and so on. So what I'm saying is just um, the ideal and what we did most of the time, hopefully. Um, But yeah, like I think it's this mix. Right. So where do you stand on synchronous, asynchronous um, work? Is it it hybrid? And I know you've just had your... um, grouping uh right where you you met with the entire team so does it happen because every other day you're not you know you're not together you're not really communicating uh one-on-one or um does it happen along with that yeah 
so I mean, our culture is very async, um, but I think you know it's a spectrum, and I think we went probably a bit too async in the last year. We we went both ways, like according to time. Mm. Um, but our sweet spot is really like when we manage to get most work done async, uh, build relationship, do innovation and ideation in sync, and manage to still meet every. The, the minimum is two times a year and to meet, you know, like ideally a bit more within like smaller squads or like for me, the head of this kind of thing. Um, but yeah, we have like a very kind of async culture and what you were referring to is our off slide. Like we do it. So two times yeah. a year, all ends, like everybody's goes there or at least everybody can. Um, and yeah, like it shows a bit like what's our culture of sync. It's really purely a time of aligning everybody on the strategy repeating like what we're going after, building relationship, working on our people's challenges and a bit building and ideating and, uh, you know, doing a bit of hackathon. Sometimes we actually reduce this more and more. Okay. All right. And, uh, you know, since you've already mentioned issues and this is something that I definitely want to ask, uh, and it's not, uh, talked about enough. I think a lot of people talk about hiring the best talent and, you know, hiring the best people and keeping the team um, alive, keeping the team together. But uh, not a lot of people talk about um, the hard part of it, the firing. And I know that there has been a bit of layoffs lately in Slight. Yeah. So could we talk about that a little bit? Like, how did it uh, affect the company? How did it um, affect you, maybe, personally, as a founder? Yeah, it's very recent. So it has two months. So, uh, you know, like I think how it affects me is, uh, it, I will say in a year, I guess, but I mean, it was extremely hard. Like we were very transparent. So the good thing is the whole communication decision-making process and so on was very clean. Like people were not surprised. Um, and you know, like we managed to maintain like people that were keeping, uh, excited and so on. Like it's, it's definitely takes a toll. Like the next month was a bit messy yeah. and then like, you can feel people kind of reviving, shipping great stuff, like starting to burn the energy. And then like, hopefully we had our slide, which was like this moment that I was expecting to also show why we did it. Everybody knows, right. But just repeating that it just like, we, we saw this trend in the market. Uh, we had some like to, to be very explicit, it's very simple. The whole market was carrying everyone. And we had like a very, very good uh, net retention, uh, revenue retention. So basically every year we were growing by uh, 20 to 30% thanks to our previous customers. And this year it was like 100, like it basically stayed flat. And so that mm -hmm. meant, you know, like the whole kind of gross projection is actually extremely impacted by that, right? Um, and that's the kind of thing where, you know, like at some point we were like, it was a choice, right? We were like, do we uh, put in danger everyone or do we keep an environment of calm and peace to ship. We had like made the plan. We were very explicit about which level of runway will we eat and when we'll do the decision. We did it slightly before because mm -hmm. we saw that, you know, like things were not moving fast enough. Yeah, it was, it was very hard. Like, I think we did like good on communication and so on, but, um, if I had, uh, yeah, that's the part where I say, you know, yeah, maybe I'll be clearer. I think, yeah. I think I regret one thing and it's, it's extremely hard, like for, I think employees to kind of realize because those are like tough choices, right? Like yeah. we, we were very generous with severance packages, but it remains like a, you know, very tough time. And, um, and obviously like it was one of the toughest time for me at Slate. Um, the, 
yeah, like I, I think I, I regret to not have made the move three months before, like in December or something like mm -hmm. that, which would have felt extreme. And I'm like, I think I, in insight, like I wish I was a bit, I, I had been able to kind of be a bit more kind of shameless about it in a way, or kind of like, you mm -hmm. know, like more realistic about it or cold about it. I don't know. So that's, that's the, the downside of being too human sometimes, I think. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like that's, that's, you know, like the good thing is that we live with most people like in very good terms. Um, I know that some of them I want to work with in the, in the future and they told us that they will want to as well. Um, I think everybody was happy about their, you know, most people were happy about their experience. It's never like, uh, when you let go 10 people, you always have like challenges. Uh, but you know, we did it in, in, in the right way and the result is very positive for everybody now, but, uh, yeah, it was Honestly, it's, it's uh, by far like one of the, the things that I would not recommend. But, you know, I don't wish that to anyone. Right. No, that makes sense, of course. But what would be your, um, not well, an advice for other founders who have to make these tough decisions? Like how to, uh, how to keep the rest of the team calm? How to not let this, you know, just disrupt the entire process? Uh, for everybody else? Uh, it's tough. Like what I did, for instance, and I will not answer your question because uh, I would have to do it multiple times to kind of learn what's the ideal way. I think being transparent ahead was a massive plus because everybody knew the metrics, everybody knew the runway, everybody knew like our goals. It, you know, like they were not like too surprised. Mm -hmm. um, the during like the, the, the way to do it during the thing is, is very hard because you do it in bulk. You can't ask to everybody that is manager to validate the thing because really like mm -hmm. it's, it's a whole plan, right? It's not one by one. So that's, that makes it, there is conflict, there is friction, there is tension, like there, it's absolutely unavoidable. Um, but after the fact, what was interesting is that I rushed. Oh yeah. I think I organized like after the latest person kind of fully departed. So we did the announcement one week later, like everybody was, uh, not there anymore. And during the week after, two weeks after we announced, basically we did an lens and I was, you know, like really, uh, eager to do this thing to kind of show here's why we did it, but there's what we're working on. And like, it, it's like all the things that we, the function that we removed and so on, it's basically, we picked accordingly. Like we know that we can manage it without too much problems and so on, uh, which is hard to say when you just let go to people, it basically like, you need to not say, you know, these people were, you know, bad or useless or whatever, because it's not the sure. case. But you also need to say we have a plan to make it work and it's fine. So it's, it's very, very, uh, ambiguous. Um, and, and anyway, I rushed to kind of show the strategy for the next six months and so on, like, you know, what it unlocks us to do. And some people told me it was too soon. Like, you know, they, there is this feeling of grieving and it's some people in the team, I think are really excited, but by, by getting this direction and felt it was a new yeah. start. Uh, and some people felt it, it was too soon. So. You know, not a lesson, just something. Right, right. Sure. Yeah, it takes a toll on everybody, right? You, you worked with these people and you kind of, there is no way to not think, you know, what if I'm the next? You know, what if something happens to me? What if? Yeah. So there is a lot of what ifs. And um, yeah, I can understand that transparency in this case uh, definitely should have um, should have helped. Okay, uh, so let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, since you're building such a great brand, uh, there should be channels, right? Your product 
channel fit, right? You have yeah. uh, Product Hunt, for example, you're super uh, loved there. Um, what are the other channels uh, that you sell through? And how did you find that fit? Um, it's a good question, especially because we did change quite a lot. So in the past, launches was definitely one of our biggest channels. Mm -hmm. um, then um, everything that was uh, product-led growth, basically, like is you know big challenge for channel for us. We still have like we have a referral system working quite well. Uh, we do have like public sharing, so you can share documents and list of documents in public. A lot of people use it for release notes and their their public wiki and their car websites and all sort of of things. So that's give visibility. Uh, how to track, but we know that it kind of like converts at some point. And right now, I've had the more and more like the, the focus is slightly upper market, like 50 plus teams. And mm -hmm. that means uh, this works way less. Like it's still good to kind right. of be the awareness and so on, but it's like definitely not our core channel. So we are working on it quite a lot right now. And uh, the biggest um, um, the biggest kind of channels that we are developing right now are partnerships and uh, ref uh, referral, not in the sense of product referral, but, you know, yeah. like Quora um, alternative to and all these kind of things that can, uh, you know, already address people that are actively looking at knowledge base is obviously like a, a big uh, channel for us. Okay. And how did you find those channels? And uh, is there any hack that you could share that, you know, that worked for you? Like, how did you, for example, realize that product hunt is going to be something that you want to leverage? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I'm I'm really not like a, an expert. Like the only thing that I can say, and I think I will share it to product and tech people that will think the same way. Like the good kind of mental framework for me is to think of what fits your product, as you say, product channel fit. Uh, so the Brian Balfour for fit kind of model uh, was very, very instructive for me, understanding that you don't need to do everything and, you know, like not everything will fit with your thing. So Typically, yeah. like the the when we were kind of like smaller and we needed to have this kind of like uh, product growth kind of motion and so on, it, it was a bit more obvious. Right now, for instance, like we resell to knowledge base people that come with the first intent being knowledge base, and then they always expand to do much more than that. Uh, and it's of, often like teams, as I said, of fifty plus. So it's kind of like it's you need bottom up adoption, but it's a top down decision. Yeah. Um, and so when you kind of like pieces all these uh, parts of the puzzle together, you realize that um, this is just you have an open uh, window of opportunity of maybe two months, three months every four years. Like you don't mm -hmm. switch knowledge base like all the time. Uh, outbound call doesn't work at all. Like anything outbound is just extremely badly suited to this uh, thing because knowledge base, uh, because of this window of opportunity, because switching is a high cost. Yeah. Um, and so uh, what we do uh, most of the time is really trying to be as present as we can when the person is trying to kind of like uh, look for a new solution. So it's SEO, as I said, referral partnerships, like everything that kind of like uh, pinpoints to the intent of changing knowledge base. Okay. All right. And just, just one more question about uh, Product Hunt, because a few founders that came to the podcast also talked about Product Hunt. And for, for some, it was kind of, uh, okay, as a, a customer acquisition channel. For some, it was more of a just an early adopter, like maybe a user for some time uh, acquisition channel. But uh, just because of the like the nature of uh, product hunt users, right? That that are there 
for the thrill, for the new thing yeah. to come to the market. Uh, it wasn't really a great sales channel. So how do it work for you? Yeah, I totally agree with that. Like the thing that you can see with cohorts when you have payments and uh, yeah. you know an actual product and not just a trial is that the cohorts of PH uh, uses a very, very bad. Um, and it's fine, you know, like, especially at the very beginning, like we launched uh, our first version, we had like 2000 something about, so it was really, really successful launch. And we got so much feedback and so much useful kind of takeaways from it. Um, it generated a lot of other traction, backlinks and so on. Like it was really, really extremely positive. So I think, you know, you need it to do it just because it's free. Um, yeah. But I, I think I, I read this recommendation like the other day and I, I deeply agree with it. Like it's best for side projects. Like basically it's best for brand awareness. Yeah. And if you think about a project that has more chance to actually like do better on pH, so things that are usable, like without paying, without, you know, like even signing up is even better. I think that are typically suited to B2C use case. If you have like something like that, that you can build a bit apart from your product. So typically I have an example, like uh, we have an extension called draft that basically you open a new Chrome tab or Safari tab or Firefox, and it just has an editor and you just type in mm. whatever you want. And every time that you open a new tab, you will get your editor. It's draft by slide. Um, you know, like we have a few thousand users of it. It's the kind of thing that, you know, every time that they open a tab, this is slide on the bottom left. So, you know, it's something that will give positive impact at the end. Um, it did good on pH. And it doesn't bring any customers like straight away, of course. But to me, that's the way to use it. Uh, it's definitely not a channel for sales. Right. Okay. hundred percent agree. I, I feel like uh, a lot of things that, that are on pH uh, are, like you said, they don't bring customers or at least they don't bring customers right away. Like there is one, um, one little extension that I use, it's called Beams and it's absolutely free. It just, it sits on top of, of my screen, just uh, reminds me like, when is my next meeting? Uh, and it's completely free, right? But I kind of feel like I'm so attached to it now. So like whenever they bring in like the paid version, I'm just going to pay because like, it's just so good. <laughs> that's, that's a good one up, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so just a couple more questions. Since you've mentioned AI, uh, right? And um, I think I wrote, uh, I read it in your, in one of your interviews, like AI can add everything or can add nothing. Um, and so what does AI bring to you? Is it, um, and of course, like you talked about it already, like it, it helps with when you have a lot of information and you want to find something really quick. So it kind of addresses that need. Uh, but on the like on the larger scale, is it something that really adds a ton of value? Or is it more of a another layer of hype brand awareness bringing like the whole AI craze into slight? So uh, no, it's not hype. <laughs> the world will change with AI. There is absolutely no doubt. Like it's not Web3. It's not, uh, I mean, like not saying that Web3 is not like interesting technology, but it's nothing alike. Like uh, it will radically revolution like all our industry, like everything that has link with knowledge and mm -hmm. productivity, uh, I think, you know, the world in three years, five years, like will be like drastically different. Um, so definitely not the hype. For us, it's very simple. I like to, oh, you know, 
mental test I like to run when thinking about AI features. But like for us, it's very easy. It's it's basically, well, actually, I will start with that. Like it comes from uh, David Lieb, which is the Google Photo founder. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, Google Photo was one of the first tool that actually implemented AI. I don't know if you used it. No, I don't think so. Okay, Google Photo is the best product ever. I think iPhotona introduced a lot of the features that they developed. But basically, like they were the first to develop a lot of features around AI. And and in an interview like uh, that I heard like a few years ago, and it was like AI was just not there. Um, the interviewer, it was uh, the YC podcast, like I uh, was asking him, like how do you think about that, right? Because AI can do so many things. Like how do you truly think about what's doable or not? Like what can you put in the product and so on. And and what what he was saying, and I love it, and I use it every day, is like imagine that you have like 100 super smart person, like you know, you take your CTO or your CPO, some somebody that you value, that you think is super smart, and and she turned into 100 robots, right? 100 robot version of herself, and she's available for you and her 24/7, and she's working on your library of pictures or photos. What do you you know like staff or you know like them to do? Um, yeah, and and basically, if you think through these lenses, like you would be like, they are one hundred. They only work on my library. I will ask them to flag all the pictures with dogs, and I will ask them to find all the pictures where I'm in and where my son is and where uh, you know, like there is mountain, and you flag all them. And then I want to find like the things that are rotated in the wrong way, and just like push them to me to kind of rotate them in the right way. And then I want to them to find all the expenses and put them in a special folder, and all the scans and do the same thing and maybe make them readable, right? Like write the OCR version of it. Hmm. And you know, like it's endless. Like you're just, you, yeah. know, you can just like ideate like that. And basically the point is, AI is not magic. Like if you can't do it, it probably can't either. But all these things that I just listed, it's actually like, especially right now, it's becoming very, very easy. And when you start thinking like that and you're like, you know, like what will happen if like the world becomes a very different place. And so for slides, uh, it comes down to the three jobs that we have as a knowledge base. Um, in a very simple, simplistic fashion, like you have the creation of knowledge. So you just write things down, generate knowledge from this call, from call, from, you know, like discussion that you've had, um, you generate it from your head sometimes, like just, you know, putting by writing what you know already. You maintain it. So you make sure it mm-hmm. remains up to date. So we have verification status to be sure that things are up to date and so on, but that's very manual. And you find the answers. So you are the end consumer and you need an answer to your questions or you need to, you know, find a document to keep working on it. And so if you look at these three kind of silos, you're like, well, what, what would you staff this person to do, right? This 100 kind of robots, uh, smart robot version of, you know, for instance, my CTO, what would I staff them to do? And, and the answer is quite simple for the last one. We already put it in production. I will just ask them to write all the documents I can access, just understand them. And, and, you know, see the links between them and so on. And, and then when I ask a question, they can just give me the answer and, you know, tell me where they found this uh, solution from. And since they don't have full context, so, you know, once again, that's the, the limit of AI. They don't have full context, yeah. like they don't, they are not in your head. So they can't, uh, if you've written something that is wrong, they will tell you something that is wrong, right? Like that's the value yeah. of having still a knowledge base and something that is verified and up to date and so on but they can actually kind of at least give you an answer. And then you can say, okay, you know, this is not good enough or, you know, like let me flag it and so on. And, and the importance of having a verified source of knowledge becomes much, much more important. Uh, so that's something that we're already shipped with Ask. Like you already have that in slides in production for any team. And then like, uh, that's kind of our roadmap for, for the next for, for the next months, like until the end of the year, it's really like, how do you maintain it? So, you know, like if I were asking you, so you have no, no knowledge of slide, right? 
and I yeah. duplicated you on 10 versions of yourself and, uh, and you kind of have access to all my documents. You could look at the metadata, right? And see, oh, this document has not been edited since 2019. And you look at the analytics and you're like, well, nobody read it either. Kind of feel like it should be archived, right? Like that's a very, very simple way to assess it, for instance. So, you know, like uh, this document is viewed by everyone in the company, like all the time, but it has not changed in three years. Probably I should ask Chris because he has been the one creating it or Kesa because she's been like to, to review them, right? And, you know, like, so all these this jobs about maintenance to kind of unclutter your tree, make sure that things is validated, prompt you to kind of like validate the right things, uh, deprecate the things that are, you know, old meetings, for instance, is, is things that we are building right now. And then the, the first part, which is, I think, of, like, could be even more mind-blowing, is really um, how do you generate knowledge? Uh, when you generate knowledge right now, like, it's, it's, it's a very long process where you need to kind of, like, uh, think about what to document and, you know, like you might forget about things. Sometimes you're not the matter expert and so on. And the thing is knowledge gets shared and generated in a very natural way in other places, yeah. you know, like maybe in this call, uh, I could have a screen recorder and the way I pitched slides, I don't know if I pitched that at the beginning, but the way I pitched that could be more accurate or, you know, the latest version of what we have. And actually the pitch change, you know, like even by subtlety is like every two weeks, right? I'm exaggerating, but you know, and uh, maybe actually this is a better version of the knowledge uh, or, hmm. you know, you're on your support channel in Slack and maybe like somebody answered a question that is actually not documented in Slack. And yeah. so this part, like generating knowledge by kind of like being by your side, I think like, you know, like literally generating entries in your knowledge base so that it's more complete. And then, you know, of course, like being there in your tool to answer you, like that's, that's the last part. I think we just change dramatically, like the way we consider this tool. If you don't need to write knowledge anymore, I think people will <laughs> start to use it. Oh yeah, <laughs> take it away, take it away from me. Uh, but yeah, amazing. That sounds super exciting. I'm I'm really uh, now curious to to look inside the slide because, um, like you said, I've never used it. Uh, okay, and um, I have just one more question. Um, it's something that everyone gets. What's your biggest win and the biggest failure so far um, with slight or, you know, your personal journey as a founder. Uh, okay. I'll start with the biggest failure. Like, and it's something that is, I think it's okay. So uh, if I have to think about the biggest failure, uh, it's, it hardly can be like one moment, right? Like, because. Oh, sure. It's, you know, like every event, like, you know, like letting go people like feeling down because of something that happens. I mean, it's just, you know, like the day after, hopefully you wake up and change and that's the, the awful and, and beautiful part of being an entrepreneur. Like it's roller coaster every day. So literally like you, you get over it. But so I think in a more, yeah. much more diffused way, um, one of the failure that I had was, uh, when I started to scale the team and, you mm -hmm. know, to go from the moment where we were 10 to 15 to kind of like 20, 30 people. I started to kind of like really, really assume that people that I would hire that were senior and that had like a lot of experience will take better decisions than I needed to get out of their way. And I unlearned and I really, really felt that because I didn't want it any, if I were in their spot, I would have hated it to be bossed around or, you know, like, of course, bossed around would be the worst, but to even be told what to do. And I realized that, you know, like micromanagement is, uh, has been like a very, very bad word and, and for a reason, uh, but we kind of confuse it sometimes. It's just, you know, mm. like 
being directive and taking decisions. And taking decisions, sometimes like it feels like you are blocking another way. The right is that if you take decision very, very fast, you can iterate and come back. Uh, and if it comes from you, at least as the founder and CEO, like it just helps everybody else. So being decisive, being clear, not doing the halfway, not going for consensus, helping others decide. That's, I think, something that I failed on and hopefully I learned from that. Okay, that's a good one. All right. Uh, what about the win? And the win, I can't say one win, but I will say something that happened last week uh, <laughs> where uh, we were like, so, you know, like we had chat, we had talks, um, uh, we had workshops. Uh, some people presented talks uh, beside the strategic one on you know, AI research and animation and all kind of stuff and so on. So it was really like a productive week full of a lot of insight and so on. And at the end, very end of the week, like last day, you know, like uh, everything was closed. People will leave at 6 a.m. the day after and so on. We were like having like the last drinks. And I had like uh, Fadila, my head of product, <laughs> which was obviously drunk. She was not drunk, but she was like, you know, like a bit dizzy. And and uh, you could feel the accent of truth in what she was saying. You know, she was a bit kind of, and she was like, you know, the people that work here, they are some of the really smartest people I've ever worked with or the smartest people I've ever worked with. And it's crazy that uh, we manage, you manage to build and retain these people um, and this level of, you know, intelligence and so on. So that I think is, yeah, like is very kind of like was a very good compliment. Like uh, I love it. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, that that's good. It's uh, it turns into a very good trend. Uh, pretty much every founder says um, the win is definitely the team. The team is great. Yeah. yeah. People, people are our win. We, we got the best ones. So it's, uh, yeah, it's good that, you know, there are, <laughs> there are so many companies with the best people ever. So very, very happy about that. Uh, all right. And, uh, okay. Just, just one more. What would be your hack in any kind of, uh, area of your, um, operation within within the company that works for you, whether in customer acquisition or brand awareness or building your own brand or anything that helps you make slide into what it is right now. Mm. Um, well, I think I would stick with the people stuff. Uh, one act that is really amazing and that everybody should do is uh, for building kind of like a feeling of connection when you are uh, far away. Uh, mm -hmm. We have this, um, I guess I can't share my screen, right? Can I in this? Uh, yeah, sure. You can. Okay. Um, don't let me, yeah. Uh, so we have this thing like that's everybody um, do. Can you see my screen? Yeah. yeah. Um, so we have like this thing that um, people do when they join uh, slides. Uh, which is mm -hmm. the intros. So typically like I can go to, uh, well, I can go to mine. So yeah, th th basically everybody that goes into kind of like a slide that arrive as an employee, like we'll share kind of like uh, their journey, you know, what they did before, what happens uh, mm -hmm. and so on. And so you have that for like all the people that you know, ever joined and you have like very, very kind of like personal and interesting kind of uh, uh, stories that get uh, shared there. Um, and uh, just it's just really good, like because it's obviously like I can't I can't really show like the others, but you know like it it just like create a lot of this one was one of the first, but in the last I can I can see it by the way I didn't didn't show up I just oh shit 
<laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I, I, I could actually, see like the black screen can, of you trying to open something. <laughs> I can really uh, restart if you want. Maybe. Okay, it's a, it's fine. I mean, uh, go ahead. But I, I know what you mean. Uh, at Task Group, we have uh, so-called like a personal manual where, yeah, exactly. you know, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So so you have like, actually we have... We have oh yeah, there it is. We have like the user guide. So this is, for instance, like uh, we have only two people that wrote oh, it yeah. and myself, how we walk and so on. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have like the more kind of like personal stuff, like, you know, like who we are, uh, but you know, like you have like this kind of thing where, you know, people like, oh, so uh, cool. exchange and so on on who they are, like what they did before, what's their story and so on. And uh, yeah, like that's, that's like, just like, it's very personal and so on. Like the, the good stuff is that people just happen to, so that's Oops. mine for instance. Yeah. Um, yeah. and people tend to be like extremely kind of like personal and caring and so on. And so it's basically like what happened in the latest arrival, because of course, this is one of the first one that people actually comment, uh, a ton, you know, like they actually leave a lot of comments and get people engaged straight away. And the people that are there for the first time feel included and the people that, uh, you know, need to do like a first interaction with them or have a first one, one or first project with them, they already know who they are. Right. So that's, that's something that I would recommend any teams. And we have a template in slide for that uh, to do. Cool. All right. Well, I totally agree. Totally agree. I mean, it just, uh, it adds this first layer of kind of knowing the person without, you know, even meeting them. Uh, so when you actually get to meet them, it's kind of like you, you know, a little bit of the personal information. So it really helps to, to, to establish some kind of, uh, first connection friendship. So perfect. Thank you so much for sharing that. And uh, Chris, I mean, it's it's been a great, uh, very honest uh, conversation. I, I really appreciate that you didn't um, say no to discussing the the layoffs and like all the uh, hard stuff. I know that it's it's super challenging for you and the team, but it's something that that's really important to discuss. And sometimes I think it will... Um, uh, yeah, it will be very helpful for, for other founders. So thank you. 100%. Actually, I'd love to hear a podcast just of those, honestly. Okay, cool. Well, uh, thank you so much for, for being here. I'm really curious of uh, what you're going to do with Slight this year. So we'll keep in touch. We'll uh, still crawl your page on LinkedIn uh, looking for good posts. So thanks for being here and uh, take care. Thanks for that, Anna. Thank you. That was yet another awesome conversation on SaaS Unbound. We're always looking for new guests to share their experiences. We mostly talk with bootstrapped SaaS founders. And if you're one, reach out to me directly at anna at saas.group or find me on LinkedIn. If you're not bootstrapped or even not SaaS, but have a great story to tell, we want to hear from you too. And obviously, SaaS Unbound wouldn't be possible without the SaaS Group, a founder-friendly private equity company that buys awesome businesses that people love to take them to even greater success. If you're thinking about selling your company or just exploring your options, feel free to visit saas.group, fill in the form, and expect a response in under 24 hours.